Yeah, so the title of, of our sermon today is that sin, sin, it robs us of our joy, right? The things that we should be celebrating, the things that give us joy, the things that, you know, give us peace in our heart. Sin robs us of these things. Now, um, I don't know what, I don't know about you, but graduating from college was sort of an ambivalent experience for me, right? It was a joyful time (laughs) because on one hand, um, it meant like no more tests, no more classes, no more all-nighters. But on the other hand, um, I actually had no idea what I was supposed to do with my life after I graduated. And, you know, looking back on it now and talking to my other friends, I realized this is actually a very common theme when it comes to like UCs and stuff. Like they're more theoretical and they're not really um, focused on helping their students game plan for life after college. Um, but well, honestly, it's, it's really my fault. Like I, I got a BA in creative writing and I had no plan for what I wanted to do afterwards with that degree. I just wanted to have fun while I was in college. But I remember during graduation, um, as I was like going through the walk, I had this feeling at the bottom of my stomach of just like rocks in my stomach. Cause you know, um, I was just thinking about my other friends. They had med schools that they had lined up and they had applied to and gotten in. Um, there were other people who were working in labs other people who had jobs right after college. But for me, all I had was, um, you know, a, a student administrative job that would only last through the summer at, at the library. And so as I was walking, I just felt like I couldn't really fully enjoy graduation. I couldn't really fully enjoy the ceremony, uh, dinner with my parents, um, graduation after the party, because in the midst of all this celebration I felt lost I felt like I didn't know what I was doing I felt like an idiot like I wasted four years of my life at this school and so this day right this graduation day that was supposed to be a time of commemoration a day that was supposed to be filled with celebration and just excitement about the next stage of my life only brought fear it brought regret it brought anxiety and uncertainty this and and all of these feelings it it robbed me it robbed me of my joy that i i thought that i would have on this graduation day it robbed me of the excitement of graduating and we're actually going to see something very similar in our passage today we're going to see how sin robs the daughter-in-law of eli of joy it robs her of perhaps one of the greatest honors uh, that a a woman could experience living in the ancient Near East at that time. Rather than having the joy of uh, uh, delivering a son and giving birth to a son, on the flip side, she was actually in despair. Rather than pride, she was filled with anxiety. Rather than having hope for the future, she was filled with hopelessness. So let's turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 12. And just to quickly recap, last week we saw that the Israelites, they get completely destroyed by the Philistines. Not only did they lose 30,000 soldiers, but the Ark of the Covenant was captured. 
Uh, and the Ark of the Co- Covenant, this is an object that was associated with God's dwelling place, his presence uh, and, and within the temple. Not only that, but um, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed and as a fulfillment of God's punishment to Eli for not being a good father, for not disciplining his sons. So now let's read how the rest of Israel reacts when they hear what happened at the battlefield. Verse 12, that same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. Now, culturally speaking, the tearing of clothes and dust on his head was a sign of extreme grieving. You know, uh, I remember uh, my Hebrew professor at Talbot, he, he, was, he saw this article and he was just talking about it in class. And there's a story in South Korea where I think... Um, my kids were, were trapped in a school or something. And the paramedics, uh, they went to the front of the school because all the parents were, were gathered there. And the reason, um, and, and the paramedics, they actually brought food for these parents. And the reason they did that is because, you know, when Koreans grieve, they, they actually don't eat food. They're so overwhelmed with emotions of anger, grief, sadness. They're so overwhelmed with this with these emotions that it just doesn't occur to them that they're hungry like or the, or for them to eat so literally these paramedics jobs are, is just to force these moms to eat and so when we read uh, verse 12 and it says that there's um the tearing of clothes and dust on the head um this is equivalent to that emotionally you know it's the tearing of the clothes and the dust on the head is something that is emotionally at the level of, of these uh, Korean parents just grieving, being so overwhelmed that they just don't eat. It's this feeling of just wanting to say or do anything to express their sorrow that they feel inside. It's trying to communicate a certain level of grief that, that there are no words for. And so that's this man, this Benjamite, who runs from the battlefield to to the rest of israel in verse 13 it says when he arrived there was eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of god when the man entered the town and told what had happened the whole town set up a cry and isn't that interesting that when eli he's waiting he's waiting to hear about the results of the battle Right? The first thing that he's worried, worried about, it's actually not his sons. The first thing that comes to his mind to fear and to be anxious about is actually the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God. And it's interesting to me because may, maybe, maybe he's just made his peace with the fact that you know, um, his sons were going to die because this is what uh, Samuel, Samuel um, prophesied as a curse for Eli and his family. But in the final moments of his life, Eli responds in a way that I feel like is appropriate for a high priest. He has immediate concern for the Ark of the Covenant, the the dwelling place of God. He fears the worst, that the physical manifestation of the presence of God, which is the Ark, has been stolen. Israel now has forfeited the favor of God. Israel now has no protection from Yahweh. 
His concern for this was greater than just his two sons. His concern was for the welfare of the entire nation of Israel. Verse 14, it says, Eli heard the outcry and asked, What is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old, and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see. And he told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. And Eli asked, What happened, my son? And the man uh, who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. The greatest fears of Eli have been realized. In verse 18, he says, When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and he was heavy. And in total, he led Israel for 40 years. And when we read this passage, like the question that I ask is, you know, what exactly is it that killed Eli? Is it the news about the death of his sons? Because there's a possibility, right? Is it the fact that they lost 30,000 soldiers, that they lost to the Philistines? No. What kills Eli is the fact that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Right? When we look at the verses, the author goes out of his way to make sure that there's no ambiguity here. Eli died in response to hearing that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And the reason why this is significant is because this has officially sealed um, Israel's fate in the eyes of Eli. All hope is lost from this point on. They have no protection. And you know how like in the first Avengers movie, right, patient? <laughs> the first Avengers movie, like Thanos, he assembles like the Infinity Gauntlet, right? And, and remember how hard everyone was trying to prevent him from getting the Infinity Stones and how desperate they felt. And when he finally got it and people started disappearing, right? There's just like this complete sense of like, oh my gosh, this is the end. This is over. Third Avengers, my bad. You're right. Thanks for holding me in line. <laughs> but there's like the sense of just overwhelming doom, right? Once he assembles that gauntlet, like losing the Ark of the Covenant had that same type of feeling. Just this complete and utter hopelessness. There's no more protection, no more security, no more presence of God, nothing to separate them from the rest of the world. And verse 18 <coughs> It also describes Eli as heavy. Now, there are a couple possible reasons as to why the author chose the word heavy. One is that he stole the fat from God that was supposed to be sacrificed to God in religious ceremonies. And so he was literally, he was literally physically heavy. He was fat. Another reason he was probably described as heavy was due to shame. He was heavy with shame. He was embarrassed that he was unable to prevent the Israelites from sending out the Ark of the Covenant. He was embarrassed by not being able to discipline his sons and, um, and raising them up righteously. And finally, we see that Eli was a priest for 40 years. And we've talked about this before, that in Scripture, um, there's such things as numerology. Numbers mean something symbolic. And 40 in scripture represents eras. 
For example, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and this represents an era of punishment. And after the 40 years of punishment, they were able to enter into the promised land. We also saw that um, in Genesis that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And it represents an era of complete destruction and actually baptism. And that after the end of, of the flood, there's, uh, humanity is able to restart life all over again. And what we see with this number 40s, and when we look at these examples, is that after the 40 years or the number four, or 40 days, there's a significant change that happens, right? With the wilderness, it was punishment, then blessing. With Noah and, and, and the ark, it was 40 days of rain and then now life. Well, here in the book of 1 Samuel, when it says that Eli reigned for 40 years, it represents an entrance into a new spiritual era for the nation of Israel under the leadership of Samuel. And so from here on out, you're going to see the transition of spiritual leadership from Eli to Samuel. Let's continue with verse 19. And what we're going to see in the following verses is how sin specifically robbed the daughter of Eli, the daughter-in-law of Eli, of her joy. We're going to see the continued effects of sin of Eli's sin on his family. Verse 19, it says this, His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. But she was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the women attending her said, Don't despair. You have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. So obviously these are not the most ideal conditions to go into labor. It was, you know, it was premature. It was induced by stress and this terrible news about the death of her husband, her father-in-law, and the fact that the ark was captured. And she is so affected by all of this news that she can't take joy in the fact that she gave birth to a son. In verse 20, she was told not to despair, that she's given birth to a son, that she should rejoice and celebrate and be joyful. But she couldn't. In fact, she didn't even respond or even pay attention to the fact. She didn't even pay attention to the fact that she had a son, too, that she had a child. And this is pretty significant because having a son, right, was supposed to be something to celebrate. It was supposed to be something huge, and it, it was supposed to be a wonderful event. Having a son was supposed to be something to rejoice in, to be viewed as, a, as an honorable achievement. But instead of being able to embrace and in, engage in, them, in this experience, instead of being able to revel in the fact in the birth of her son, she's distracted, she's aloof, she's overwhelmed with the spiritual state of Israel because the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. 
right? And, and the equivalent is, you know, uh, some, um, just like how I couldn't fully appreciate my graduation at UCSD because I didn't have a game plan because I thought I wasted four years of my life. Just like how I was filled with fear, anxiety, doubt due to the uncertainty of my future, so too was the wife of Phineas robbed of her ability to take pride, honor, and joy in the birth of her son. And in fact, she was so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed by the hopelessness and doom of the situation, it was reflected in the name that she ended up giving her son. And in verse 21, it says this, She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Literally translated, Ichabod means nothing of glory or, or where is glory? And this is clearly a reference to the ark of the covenant being gone, the favor of God gone, the glory and the presence of, of God and his protection gone and so she's giving birth this child is entering a world with no security with no future with no hope and in these verses it's, it's a pretty dark reality and in these verses what we clearly see is the effect of sin in our lives I think sometimes uh, we focus too much on God's grace. We focus too much on God's forgiveness, that he is so willing to forgive us. That sometimes that we forget that sin actually is pretty powerful. Sin, it can corrupt us. Sin taints us. Sin robs us. Us. It robs us of joy, it robs us of peace, it robs us of honor and pride. It turns the things that should be joyful, the things that should bring us happiness, into things that don't even matter to us anymore, into things that we don't care about, that don't, we don't even respond to, that we don't even are affected by it. And this story of how the wife of Phinehas being robbed of her joy of having a son, what this story does is it serves as a strong warning for us. It serves as an example of what happens if we continue to live in disobedience to God. It clearly spells out for us how sin can affect us. That it can corrupt us, that it can taint us, it can rob us of joy. The things that were intended to bring us happiness. And for the Israelites, it revolved around the presence of God. Because without the presence of God, they had nothing. In Exodus 33, verse 15 to 16, it says this. Then Moses said to him, to God, Yahweh, in this context, 
If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? Right in these couple of verses, Moses is interceding on behalf of Israel after they worship the golden calf. While Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, Israel, the nation of Israel, they get nervous and they end up worshiping this idol, which is a golden calf that they created. And, and in light of this, God gets angry and decides to send Israel away without his presence. He's willing to hold true to his promises and say that they enter into the promised land. But God says, you, you will receive this blessing, but what you will not receive is my presence. And this is how Moses responds in verse 15 to 16. Don't send us. Don't give us that blessing if you are not with us, because what would be the point? What else would distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And what this tells me is this perspective, right, of, of, of how they viewed the presence of God, how they viewed the Ark of the Covenant and, 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 and a spiritual truth for us. And th it's this, that without God, there is no purpose. Without God, there is no joy. There is no point in moving forward in our lives without Christ. And I firmly believe that God has put us here on this earth and not only to live, not only to serve in obedience, but to enjoy, to thrive, to fulfill God's calling for us in this world. That God has good things in store for us. But if we sin and if we continue to be disobedient, then the consequences of these things will rob us of the things that are supposed to give us joy. So let us desire the same intimacy with God that Moses desires. Let's have this perspective, right? That if, if without God, if, pres if God's presence is not with us, then we, we, we choose not to go forward. Because what would be the point? Yes, we may physically receive blessing. We may physically enjoy this world. But that is meaningless without God. And the way that we can preserve God's joy for us in this life, the way that we can preserve the fulfillment that he has planned for us is by refusing to let sin rob us. Is to refuse sin from robbing us of our intimacy with God. So there is a call for us at the end of this passage to open up ourselves to be obedient to Christ. To demand, to set a standard for ourselves. 
that we demand from God. Do not send us without your presence. That is our bar. And that is something that we can pursue and cultivate through obedience to Christ. So let's take a couple minutes to pray, and then I'm going to invite the worship team up. But Lord, we come before you this Sunday morning. And God, we want to say and commit to saying no to sin. God, we refuse to let sin rob us of the things that give us joy. Whether it be graduating from college, whether it be our relationships with our parents, our friends, our significant others, Lord. All of these things in this world are meaningless without you, God. So, Father, may we make a commitment to obedience to Christ. May we make a commitment to being obedient to you, God. And let us refuse to let sin rob us of joy, of the good things that you have for us in this world and in this life. In your son's name we pray. Amen.